This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Exodus chapter 3, verse number 6, um, we find that God appears to, to Moses and tells him uh, what he needs him to do. Exodus chapter 3, verse number 6. Let's back up to um, verse number, let's just start in verse number 1, all right? I'm sorry. Uh, now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came into the mountain of God, even Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burned with fire and was not consumed. We call this the burning bush. And Moses says, I will now turn aside and see this great sight while the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. He said, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for thy place whereupon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land unto a good land and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey, the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me, and I have seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppress them. Come now, therefore, and I will send the end of Pharaoh that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. The Exodus is a really important event, not just because it's like a, a monumental story for the children of Israel, but it's important for you and I. Uh, again, we, we see throughout the Old Testament that when God calls the children of Israel out, he says, you need to remember what took place when you, I brought you out of Egypt. You need to remember what happened on the other side of the flood. You need to remember what I've done for you. And this exodus is one of those key biblical events that God always brings them back to. He says, hey, you need to remember what I've done for you. The exodus is important because it provides a pattern of how God delivers his people. I think if you take a look at this story, you can begin to see the foreshadowing of what God is getting ready to do. How he does it and what manner he does it with what uh, type of um, things that God uses to bring it about. I think we can see the, uh, the heart of God, the hand of God in delivering his people through the story of the Exodus. God foretold Abraham of the Exodus from Egypt. Now mind you, uh, Genesis chapter 15, we're not too far removed from the Abrahamic covenant. God told Abraham, hey, I'm going to give you land, seed, and a blessing. Uh, and Abraham and Sarah had a son, uh, and they named him Isaac. Now, they've only got one son at this point, but God tells them in uh, Genesis chapter 15, he said unto Abram, 
Know the surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that's not theirs, and they shall serve them. They shall afflict them 400 years. And also that nation whom they will serve will I judge, and afterward they shall come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, and thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. God tells Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, your seed, and I can imagine uh, Abraham's like, uh, or Abram even at this point, is like, uh, what seed are you speaking of? Oh, your seed, this great nation, will be in bondage for 400 years. And when I bring them out of slavery, they're going to come out absolutely filthy rich. I'm going to increase their substance, he says there, right? Hey, I'm going to take your nation, and, and this nation is going to go into slavery, but whereas most nations would cave under the pressure of slavery, uh, they would be in a, in a foreign land with people that they don't know, and they would be crushed under the weight of that, they will actually grow stronger and stronger and stronger through this captivity that they'll go through. Now, interesting things to note, again, when we look at the Bible, there's nothing in the Bible that's a coincidence, Okay. Uh, God does everything on purpose for a purpose. Now, now, sometimes people are like, oh, like John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And 2 Timothy 3.16 talks about the word of God. So the word of God in John 3.16 is talking about the same word of God in, in 2 Timothy 3.16. Okay, I'm going to stop you right there for just a second, okay? Chapter and verses are not inspired by God, okay? That is the like, wow, that's really cool, right? Uh, did God do that? I don't believe that God inspired chapter and number verses, and so I'll say that. But uh, again, when it comes to the text of the Bible, the events of the Bible, you can guarantee there are no coincidences whatsoever. Everything is divinely inspired, and everything is done by the hand of our Father, 100% of the time. So when we talk about the, the exodus from Egypt, it's important to know that both Abraham and Israel both went down to Egypt for one reason and one reason only, because there was a famine in the land. So mind you, when Joseph is sold into slavery in Egypt, this happens to be the same Egypt that Abraham had already gone to in the middle of a famine. When Joseph's brothers and their dad eventually come to Egypt to get food in the middle of a famine, this is the same famine that their forefather Abraham had already, uh, at the same place in Egypt that Abraham, their forefather, had also gone in the middle of a famine as well. Genesis chapter 12, verse number 10, there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. Genesis 46, verse number 5, and Jacob rose from Beersheba and from the sons of Israel carried Jacob their father and their little ones and the wives and the wagons which Pharaoh had sent to carry them and took their cattle and their goods and when they got in the land of Canaan and came into Egypt Jacob and all of his seed with him so here we see two instances where Abraham and this great nation that will come from him both went to the same place for reason of famine and so here we see not so much a, a, a type with Christ yet uh, but we see how Abraham was also a foretelling of Israel, which will now be a foretelling of something greater to come as well. We see that Sarah uh, was taken by Pharaoh. Also, Israel was taken by Pharaoh. If you remember the story in Genesis chapter 12, they're passing through Egypt. And Abraham says to Sarah, hey, don't tell anybody you're my wife. Tell them that you're my sister. And, and because if they find out that you're my wife, they're going to kill you and take you for themselves. So lie to everybody, tell them that you're just my sister. And so she does. 
Uh, and they said, oh, this is just my sister. And Pharaoh's just like, hey, your sister's fine. I think I'm going to take her. And so Sarah was taken by Pharaoh for himself. And then God showed Pharaoh in a dream, hey, stop. This is another man's wife. You need to, to knock this off. And then if you remember the story, uh, Pharaoh came to, to uh, Abraham and says, hey, man, I don't know what you did to me or why you've done this, but you've got to leave. Uh, and he actually he, he blessed him and gave him uh, gave him money uh, to actually leave and gave him substance and, and things uh, so that he would leave. By the same token, uh, we see that uh, Israel was taken into slavery. Exodus chapter 1, verse number 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph, and he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply, and it come to pass, that where there falleth out any war, they will join also unto our enemies and fight against us. So get them up out of the land. Hey, look, these people are stronger than us. Just like God said, if you remember, hey, they're going to go into slavery, and they will become stronger as a result of it. Guess what? They're in slavery so much now that Pharaoh is fearful. And Pharaoh says, hey, they're too great for us. We need to make sure that we keep an eye on them. So we see when Abraham leaves Egypt, Pharaoh enriches him. And we also see that Israel at the same time plunders Egypt. So we see again when uh, Pharaoh comes to Abraham after he finds out that Sarah is actually his wife. Verse number, uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse number 16, he entreated Abram well for her sake. And as he had sheep and oxen and he asses and men servants and maid servants and she asses and camels. Hey, take all this oxen, take all this livestock with you, but you've got to leave because you can't stay here. Exodus chapter 12, we also see the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses. And they borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they lent unto them such things as they required. And they spoiled the Egyptians. So now we see on the way out of Egypt after the night before the Passover uh, comes, the death angel comes to, to Egypt. Everybody goes around to their Egyptian neighbors and says, hey, can I borrow some clothes? Hey, can I borrow some jewelry? Hey, can I borrow some gold and silver? And they gave it willingly. The, the Egyptians actually gave them uh, enough of what they needed. Uh, and then the Bible says that they spoiled them. That's a military term for they took what belonged to them because they had been conquered. So, for example, you would conquer a village and you would take all their good stuff back with you, whether it be livestock or gold or silver or uh, pottery or, or, or china and things like that. You take it back with you and, and you would spoil them. You take all their good stuff. Here the children of Israel, mind you, have won no military victory here, but the Bible says that they have spoiled them because God thought ahead of time to enrich them uh, by giving them things for their journey. Next we see that God delivers Sarah and Israel both by plagues. So again, if you remember with the story with Abraham and Sarah and Pharaoh, Genesis chapter 12, verse number 17, the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. When we see in Exodus chapter 11, the Lord said unto Moses, yet I will bring one more plague upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt, and afterwards he will let you go hence. When he shall let you go, he shall surely thrust you out from hence altogether. In addition to that, God reminds Abraham and Israel both how he brings his people out. Genesis chapter 15, verse number 7, he says to him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of the Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit. It's the exact same language that he uses in Exodus chapter 20, verse number 2. I am the Lord thy God, which has brought thee out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. So again, God reminds both Abraham and 
and Israel. Hey, I don't want you to forget who I am and what I've brought you out of. Now, what's the correlation for you and I? God wants to remind you who he is and what he's brought you out of continually, again and again. How do we do that? We remember what Christ has done for us. Next, we see that Israel was God's firstborn son, according to him. Exodus chapter 4, verse number 22. Thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. Now again, when we take a look at the Old Testament, and God calls, Ab- uh, calls Israel his son, his firstborn son, how many sons did God have besides Israel? Anybody want to take a guess? None. When it comes to the Old Testament and nations that belonged to God, that were called God's people, there was Israel and there was no one else. They were God's son. They were his firstborn son. But then when Jesus Christ comes along, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the only begotten son of God. So we see that Jesus Christ is the only begotten son of God. Israel was God's adopted children, adopted through the Abrahamic covenant. God says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I will be your God. You will be my people. And then John chapter 1 tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus also tells us in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave. Gave what? His only begotten son. So here we see a correlation that Israel is a picture of Jesus Christ to come. Israel was God's purchased, prized possession. Jesus Christ was his only begotten son. And so we see a correlation between Israel and Jesus Christ as well. God tells Israel that they will inherit the uh, promises of the Abrahamic covenant. So when it comes to the Abrahamic covenant, it had three parts. God promised to give Abraham first what? Land, promised to give him what? Seed. And the third part was blessing. So uh, if you're new or you're taking notes here tonight, land, seed, blessing make up the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, God says, I'm going to make you a great nation. Uh, you're, you're, uh, I'm going to give you a land that you don't currently have. I'm going to make of you a great nation, which is your seed. And then I'm going to give you a blessing that in you, all the nations of the world shall be blessed. And so Israel is an inheritance of that promise. Exodus chapter 3, verse number 8, God tells uh, Moses, I'm come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out into a land, a good land and large, into a land flowing with milk and honey, into the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. So here is the promise of the land portion of that. First of all, we see that God has made out of them already a great nation, right? Uh, Theologians estimate that the number of people that were part of the exodus of the children of Israel numbered about a million people. That's a lot. That's quite a great nation, right? So we see that the nation has already been established and is already going. We see the land here is being promised. God tells Moses, hey, get them out of Egypt because I have a land. That's part of the Abrahamic covenant that uh, I promised to them. But there's that final part of the blessing that's still missing that hasn't yet been fulfilled. Where's that going to come in? Well, that's the great part about it is that Jesus is the fulfillment of the blessing of the Abrahamic covenant. The blessing that from Abraham's seed will come the Savior of the world. 
From Abraham's seed will come the Son of God incarnate in the flesh. From the seed of Abraham will come our Messiah who will deliver us from our sins. And he will bless the entire world because he has borne our sins. So we see Israel begins to see the first two parts of the Abrahamic covenant. But then when Christ incarnate comes, we see the blessing, the third part, uh, the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. Galatians chapter 3, verse number 16 says, Now to Abraham and his seed were promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. So all these promises that were made were eventually fulfilled in Jesus Christ himself. So the parallels that we now see between Israel and us, or Israel and Christ. First of all, Israel was in bondage to Pharaoh. The Bible says the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor and made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar and brick and a manner of all service in the, the field. All their service wherein they were made to serve was with rigor. So we see that the children of Israel in bondage and slavery to Pharaoh, you and I were in bondage to our sin. Romans chapter 6, verse number 17. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that doctrine which was delivered unto you. When it comes to the word servant in the, in the New Testament, there's a couple of different words that can be used. Uh, there's the, the Greek word uh, diakonos, which is where we get our word deacon. It means somebody who waits tables, somebody who is on hand as staff to be able to uh, see needs and take care of needs and things along those lines. That's the Greek word diakonos. That word servant is used sometimes in the, in the New Testament for, for uh, the way that we serve. There's another word that's used. Uh, it's the Greek word doulos. The word doulos means bond slave. It means you have no rights. You own no property. You simply do what you're told. So when Romans chapter 6 says that you and I were the servants of sin, it doesn't mean that like, we dabbled around in sin and played with it a little bit. The, the Bible says we were in slavery to sin, and sin was our master. You do what you're told. You have no property. You have no will. You simply obey your master. That's why one who has not been saved or born again, they're in slavery to their sin. They couldn't do good if they wanted to. The good that they do is an ulterior motive of either it's what I want, it's what I want to do, it's, a, it's something that benefits me in some way, because you are a slave to sin, and you must obey your master. And so you and I were in slavery to our sin, and we needed to be set free. The problem is, is that we can't simply just be let free from our, the bondage of our sin. We need to be purchased back from our sin. We need to be redeemed. And for, to be redeemed, we need a redeemer who is willing to pay the price and the penalty of our freedom. And Jesus Christ came. He suffered and bled and died on the old rugged cross to pay the penalty for our sin, to redeem us, to purchase ba us back from our slavery. So God sent Moses to Israel to redeem his people, to bring them out. God sent Jesus Christ to redeem us and to bring us out. Moses was used to deliver Israel from bondage to freedom. I think back in December when we talked about Moses, we talked about how Moses is a Christ figure in the Old Testament. Moses is a picture of Jesus Christ. Now, again, this is important to understand, unless you, you would go astray here. Types 
And pictures in the Old Testament are simply that. They're illustrations. They're pointing forward to something. They're not perfect examples. Moses was a murderer. Jesus Christ never sinned one single solitary time. Moses lost his temper and lost his cool and sinned against God. Jesus got angry with a righteous anger and flipped over tables, but he never sinned. So the pictures and patterns that we have in the Old Testament and throughout the Bible will always break down at some point. Uh, that's why, again, when we try to explain the Trinity, uh, the Trinity is, is some massively large uh, theological uh, understanding that none of us can fully grasp. Uh, Jesus Christ is 100% God, but God the Father is also 100% God, and the Holy Spirit is also 100% God. Well, does that mean we have a 300% God? Nope. It means that they are all distinctly different, yet one. So Jesus is 33% God. No, he's 100% God. Well, the math doesn't add up. I know. That's why it's an illustration that breaks down somewhere, right? And, and I don't know what illustration you've heard for the Holy Spirit. It's like, it's like water. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's gas. It's a liquid. It's a solid. That breaks down at some point, right? Uh, yeah, well, it's like an egg. You know, there's the, the, the shell, and there's the yolk, and then there's the white. I know. But if you take the, the yolk out by itself, is it still a full egg? No, it's not. It needs the other parts to be a full egg. And so all those break down. The idea of, of Moses as a Christ figure does not mean that Moses is Jesus Christ. Does it not mean that Moses could save people from their sins? He was a picture. He saved them from their physical bondage the way that Jesus saves us from our spiritual bondage. So when we say that Moses is a Christ figure, please understand Moses is not Jesus Christ. And he was a fallible man, but he was a picture of our Savior to come. And so we see that Moses was used to deliver the children of Israel from bondage to freedom, and Jesus was used to deliver us from our bondage to freedom. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Again, part of the freedom in Christ, people who don't understand what freedom in Christ means, we we touched on it briefly this morning as we talked about uh, Jesus Christ making us free, that there's liberty in Jesus Christ. That liberty doesn't give us the occasion to be able to sin when we want. Oh, I'm free of the penalty of my sin. That means I can sin as much as I want. No, you're free from your sin, which means you don't have to sin anymore as much as you want. It's freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. And so when Jesus sets us free from our bondage of sin, Galatians chapter 5, verse number 1, says you've been set free from that bondage so that you won't come back under the yoke of bondage again. You've been set free. Don't go back into bondage again. I'm so thankful for this song we sang tonight, uh, Glorious Day. I, I love songs that talk about the gospel. Oh, man, I love to talk about the gospel. I love to read about the gospel. I love to praise God for the gospel. I love to sing songs about the gospel because the gospel is my freedom. And when we talk about how living he loved me, dying he saved me, buried he carried my sins far away. He didn't carry my sins up the street so that they would come back to haunt me again. He didn't uh, carry my sins just so that they're off my shoulders and I've got to stare at it for the rest of my life. He carried my sins far away. How far? The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, and he remembers them no more. When God delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt, he didn't take them a couple miles outside of Egypt to set up camp. He says, hey, we're done with Egypt. We're moving forward into a land that I have prepared and promised for you. 
When God sets you free from your sin, he doesn't take you a little bit out of your sin. He takes you as far away from your sin as he possibly can. That's why sanctification is so important for the Christian. Because we don't just get saved for, for, and then just sit around and wait until Jesus comes. Now we continue to distance ourselves from sin and anything sinful for the rest of our lives so that we can be holy as our Father is holy. Next we see that Israel was kept from death and judgment by the blood of the Passover lamb. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because I don't want to steal John's thunder. But Exodus chapter, um, that's not the verse that I wanted. There was a verse about, about the Passover, basically that the blood was meant to be applied to the doorposts so that the death angel would know who belonged to God. All those without the blood covering the doorposts would be put to death. Firstborn child in their, their home, put to death. Livestock, like the cows, firstborn calf, dead in the field. Why? Because it didn't have the covering that it needed to. You and I are kept from death and judgment by the blood of the Lamb of God. Amen. Again, when we talk about the, uh, again, when we talk about pictures in the Old Testament of Christ, I said the, the Passover would probably be one of my top three. Uh, one of my other top three would be the um, the Lamb on the Day of Atonement, uh, the the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the people. Uh, there would be two goats that would be there. One would take the sins of the people and be put to death. The other one would take the sins of the people out into the wilderness, ever, never to be seen again. One's a picture of propitiation. The other's a picture of expiation, of our sins being taken away from us. Beautiful picture of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. But again, of all the things that Jesus could be called, to be called by John the Baptist, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. Man, what a beautiful title for Jesus Christ. Even when we get to the book of Revelation and we're singing the praises of Jesus Christ in heaven, we sing, worthy is the lamb that was slain. The death of the firstborn in Egypt began the exodus from slavery. Exodus chapter 12, verse number 30, and Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all the servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. He called for Aaron, Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise up, get you forth among my people, both ye and the children of Israel, and go and serve the Lord as you have said, and take your flocks and your herds that you have, and be gone, and bless me also. And the Egyptians were urgent upon the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, for they say, We be all dead men. Up to this point, Pharaoh was like, yeah, okay, you can go, but don't go very far. Yeah, you want to go worship God, go for a, a day's journey, but then you need to come back. You want to go worship God, I'll give you a little bit of rope, but then I'm going to reel you back in. At this point, Pharaoh says, go and go now. And the Egyptians told them to make haste, hurry up and get out of here. When God sets us free from the bondage of our sin, he doesn't say, uh, okay, I'll work on that. Come back and check with me in a couple of months. Hey, God, I'm sorry for my sin. Oh, yeah, uh, give me a few days and we'll see if you're really sorry for that. Hey, give me a few weeks and we'll, we'll work on cleaning up that sin. Now, the Bible says we confess our sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The moment that I repent, my sin is gone, gone, gone in the depths of the sea, the Bible says. So the death of the firstborn of Egypt began the exodus from slavery. The death of Jesus began the exodus from sin. Again, when we take a look at 
the death of Jesus and what he's done for us. That verse that you have in your notes from Luke chapter 9 is not the right verse. Um, I think there's a verse in Luke 9 that I wanted to see. looking for the uh, transfiguration of Jesus Christ in Luke. I think it's Luke chapter 9. If you, if you can think, think of it or find it before I do, shout it out at me. Luke 9, 28? Yeah. Excellent. Thank you, Brock. Thank you, Brianna. Give credit where credit's due. I love it. Uh, Luke chapter 9, verse number um, 28. Let's take a look at that. It came to pass after about eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into the mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistening. And behold, there he talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, or Elijah. Now, mind you, Moses was the leader of the Exodus. Verse 31, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Interesting phrase, speak of his decease. Didn't speak of his death. The word that's used in the King James here is the, the word decease. Strange choice of words. Again, God doesn't do anything by coincidence. Everything is done, uh, particularly by inspiration. God breathed. The word decease in the Greek language. I didn't know this until like two months ago, so I'm not a super smart guy. Uh, I just, I, I read it, and I was, my mind was blown by this. The word that's used there for the word decease is the Greek word exodoso. He's speaking of his exodus. Say what? Jesus is talking with Moses and Elijah and is speaking with them about the exodus that's getting ready to take place. Like, I saw that, and I got, I got chills when I read that. It's just like, there's absolutely no way. Uh, I, I read it in one of the, the books that I was studying on typology, and I thought, there's absolutely no way. And I bust open my Greek New Testament and look it up, and sure enough, there it is, plain as day. And I thought to myself, why have I never seen that before? Like, uh, and again, strange, he sp spoke of his decease. And I went and looked it up, and, and believe it or not, there's other English translations that actually use the word exodus instead of decease. And so I thought, man, that's an interesting thing. But again, as Jesus was speaking of what was getting ready to take place, he was calling back to what had already happened in the Old Testament. The children of Israel led out of bondage, now you and I being led out of bondage as well. And so you and I, when we got saved, when we got let free from the bondage of our sin, who was leading us? Jesus Christ was leading us. Where are we going? We're going into a, uh, a land that's been promised to us. When will we get there? Well, we're currently wandering around for a little while in the wilderness, waiting for uh, the time to go in, right? Now, again, be really, really careful because um, uh, I hesitate to use, even use that analogy because let me talk to you about some bad theology called replacement theology, okay? Replacement theology says that Israel is no longer God's people, the church is. Uh, all the promises were given to Israel, now given to the church. 
God has divorced and put away Israel, and now you and I are God's chosen people, and all the promises there are now made to you and I. And just as uh, the children of Israel had a theocracy with God that there's their uh, leader and, and men, a king in his place, we too should live in a nation where God is our king and, and Christians should get involved in government and, and take ownership of the president of the United States and we should make this a Christian nation because we are now Israel. That's problematic on a hundred different levels. First of which, it's not biblical. Okay. Secondly, when you say that God divorced Israel and no longer they are his people, then when God told Abraham, I make with you an everlasting covenant, and God went back on that, God's not trustworthy anymore. The promises he's made don't apply anymore. I've heard people say before, well, the Abrahamic covenant's not in effect anymore. In what way? Well, it, it, it's, it's null and void. Says who? That's the point of a covenant is you can't make it null and void. It, it's not conditional the way that we think of contracts. God made with Abraham an everlasting covenant. How long does that last for? Anyone want to take a guess? Everlasting, big shocker, right? So let me help you with this. The church is not Israel. We didn't replace Israel. The promises of the Old Testament are not now given to us. Now, there's principles that apply to God's people that apply to you and I. The same way that God would say things like, hey, I don't want you mixing with people that are not my people, unsaved and intermarrying and things like that. That same principle applies in the New Testament, the fact that we should not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So there's a principle in the Old Testament that applies here. God has high expectations for his people. That principle carries over all the way throughout Scripture. Does that apply to us? For sure. But you can't say, well, the children of Israel did this, so that now that means that that automatically applies to us as Bible-believing Christians. Look, I love bacon. Don't take my bacon away, okay? Uh, just because I'm, you say, we're, we're now Israel, we have to follow all the rules of Israel. Absolutely not under no circumstances whatsoever. But, but is Israel a picture of how God deals with his people? Absolutely. Does God give them future promises that they don't have access to yet? Absolutely. Does what God has prepared for them does it go greater above what they can ever possibly imagine for themselves? Absolutely, 100% certain. So we, are we God's chosen people? We are because we've been saved. We've been adopted into his family. Does God have a future promise, a future blessing for us? Absolutely. Now again, this we would say that that would fall under not the Abrahamic covenant, but now the new covenant that Jesus has made. Uh, the New Testament, the new covenant in Jesus Christ's blood, now that he has purchased those who were not uh, Jews. Uh, he's purchased Gentiles. He's purchased all those that would come to faith in him. And so the death of Jesus begins the exodus from our sin. Three final thoughts about how does it, all of this apply to us? Like, hey, cool story, bro. Neat stuff that you pulled out. What does this mean for us? First of all, God begins always by calling us out of something to himself. 100% of the time. He called Abraham out of the earth of the Chaldees to himself. He called the children of Israel out of Egypt, not to the promised land. He called them out of Egypt to himself first. God always calls you to himself. I, I've used this a hundred different times in trying to give people counsel and guidance for the future. Before God ever calls you to Texas, before God ever calls you to be a missionary to India, before God ever calls you to, you know, move to Florida, 
God always calls you to himself. And if you are not walking with Jesus, and you can't hear the voice of God through Bible reading, prayer, the Holy Spirit, godly counsel in your life, you have absolutely no business whatsoever following God's calling somewhere when you haven't answered the call to himself. And so God always begins by calling people to himself. Next, God punishes the wicked and blesses the righteous and obedient. Who got the plagues? Egypt did. <laughs> For Abraham, Egypt got the plagues with uh, M- Moses and the children of Israel. All those that rose up against the children of Israel flattened 100% of the time. So, again, if you choose to be against God, you choose very, very dangerously. But also we see God's hand of chastisement upon those who would be disobedient and rebel against God. Even the children of Israel. God says, go into the promised land. Well, let us grab some spies first and we'll see if we can do it or not. God's like, you're welcome to do that, but you're disobeying me. And so he said, yeah, I think we're going to do that anyways. And they come back and it's like, well, can't do it. And God says, fine, you'll wander around in the desert until all of you die. And then those who didn't have a choice those that were 18 and under, they'll go in. The rest of you that didn't believe me, you die. That's just like, wow, that's really harsh, isn't it? God doesn't play around with obedience. God didn't call you to himself so that you could kind of weigh your options and be like, ah, I don't think I really want to do that, God. No, 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 God calls us to obedience and righteousness, and God always promises to bless that. Final thought here tonight, God's always doing something bigger than what we can see. I, um... I never dreamed when we started Who We Call It 10 years ago that, that it would be what God's done. I just thought to myself, like, hey, our family's going to move out to, to Honolulu. We're going to plant a church. If two dozen people, three dozen people came and God did something in their life, that would be awesome. Totally awesome. I never fathomed. I mean, we, we even said early on, like, hey, if we ever had like 100 people in church one day, wouldn't that be something? You know, but to, like, to see what God's doing. And if I could just tell you the stories of two dozen people that I talked to today that God's at work in their life in a real serious way. One guy got saved like two weeks ago. And he, t- he tells me on the way out today, hey, pastor, after hearing you talk about baptism, I think I want to get baptized now. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Wow. You know, that's bigger than I could have imagined. The plans that God has for you, they're bigger than you can, can imagine. And when we think small things about God, we limit what God can truly do. And so early on here, who we call it, we, we just made a decision, hey, whatever God does is whatever God does. I know people who are like, oh, we're trying to have, you know, 500 people in church on Easter. How many people do we want to have for Easter this Sunday, uh, this, this year? As many as will come. Whatever God does is what he does, and we'll praise him for it. And so, again, when we turn things over to God and we submit things to God, God does things larger than we could ever possibly imagine. God tells Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great nation. Great nation. I'm married to an old lady who can't even have kids. What are you talking about, great nation? Hey, I'm going to give you a land. You're giving me a land. You just told me to leave the land that I already had. And God's like, no, it's bigger than that. It's better than that. And the whole world will know the name Abraham because in you will the entire human race be blessed. Okay. And Abraham was obedient. Did you know that Abraham never saw the land? Never did. Never actually possessed the land. Abraham never saw 
the mighty nation that came from him. Definitely wasn't around to see the blessing in Jesus Christ. But he obeyed. And God did something great through that. I, I can imagine being Abraham as God's like, hey, your seed, they're going to dwell in a land that's not theirs, and they're going to be there for 400 years. I'd be like, it's going to take you 400 years to do this? Oh, no, no, it's going to take a lot longer. <laughs> what? Like, I'd be frustrated, right? Because, like, I want something, like, right away. But maybe God is doing something in your life that's building a foundation for something greater, much, much greater than you and I individually could do. I pray that when we started Who We Call that Who We Call would la- outlast every single one of us. That when all of us are dead and rejoicing with Jesus in heaven, this church is still preaching the gospel and seeing people saved, baptized, discipled, and growing in their faith. I, I want that to happen. But that requires something bigger than me to be at work. It requires God to do what only God can do. And so we need to make sure that everything that we do is fully, fully submitted to God. Most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, you've never been delivered from the bondage of your sin, only Jesus can set you free. There needs to be a time, a date, a place where you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You need to be born again. The only way that you can do that is through Jesus Christ. You might not even know it now, but you are in slavery to your sin, and the only person that can set you free is Jesus. Put your faith in him. Repent of your sin, and he'll save you in a split second. He'll adopt you as a son. He'll lead you on a journey away from your sin and into the land that he's promised for you that's better than anything you could possibly imagine. For those of us that are Christians, we need to remember every time we read the story of the Exodus, hey, that's just a picture of what my Savior did for me. I was hopeless in bondage. I couldn't get out if I wanted to. But God made a way through his Son for me to leave my sin behind, and I never looked back. Let's praise God for that this, this week. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church Podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.